0: like to look with us. We are in the third chapter of John. Um, we just had a few minutes last week, so I'm going to back back up again and we'll just look through what we did last week and get our thoughts together as to where we are. So, we saw in John, in chapter 2, if you remember, he went to the wedding in Cana of Galilee. There he turned the water into wine. From there, there was the Passover feast at Jerusalem. And Jesus went to Jerusalem to this feast and there He cleansed and purged the temple. He gave the prophecy, I guess is what you would call it, that His body would be destroyed. He would raise it back in three days. But their carnal mind led them to think about the natural temple and not His body. And then we saw Nicodemus come and question Him. All of that was at the same time. So we've paused for a few days in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, and now uh, after Jesus finishes his discourse with Nicodemus in verse 21, verse 22, After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anan near Salem, because there was much water there, and there came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison." Then arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth. And all men come to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. We'll stop right there. So they leave Jerusalem from this feast. And you can see John's, John's got locations and places. Places that, especially in this day, you would know, you would recognize. And it all adds credibility to the account here. Uh, We've got, really, the Word of God is attacked on every side in many ways. But even historically and geographically, we've got evidences of the truth of the accounts of the Word of God. And so Jesus and His disciples leave from the Passover. They go to a place on the Jordan River and they begin to baptize. And if you read in chapter 4 verse 2, Jesus Himself baptized not. So whether Jesus was doing the baptizing here, He could have just baptized the the disciples and and then His disciples begin to baptize. I, I don't fully know what's happening. But Jesus and His disciples are baptizing, and then just a little piece north of them on the Jordan River, there's John, and John's still baptizing. And for a while, the whole country mused about John, who he was, whether he was the Christ or not. John caused a stir in Israel, in Judea, in Jerusalem. They were all talking about who John was when they gathered together at the breakfast table, when they... Went out to the markets. Everybody was talking. Have you heard about that fella out there? At this time, John's old news though. They've seen him. They've went out to him. They've heard what he had to say. The news wore off of John. But because now both of these are baptizing. We know John baptized Jesus. We know that John bore witness to Jesus. But in verse 25, there arose a question. I said last time, that word arose, it's the Greek word genomahi. It's the one generate, to come into being, cause to be. So because they were both baptizing, that it naturally produced a question in the minds of the people. And so the Jews come to John's disciples with a question about purifying, cleansing, washing and we don't have the question wrote down, but I believe by context and by John's response, I believe you can see what the question was. Well, if I've been baptized by John, am I purified? Or do I need to be baptized by Jesus? Or if I've been baptized by Jesus, do I need to be baptized by John? So this question again comes up, and, and I said in chapter 1, John the Baptist is continually pointing people to Jesus everywhere you see John the Baptist John is never preaching himself he's never exalting his position the Lord is going to say from man born among women there's none greater than John John never says anything other than I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord that's coming That's the job and the duty of the church today. The church is elect. The church is called of God. The church is purified by Christ and His sacrifice. The church is one with God in heaven. But the church is to point continually to the Lamb of God, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we see the note, John's baptizing for he's not yet cast into prison John's ministry is going to come to a close. All of our ministries are going to come to a close one day. Our opportunity to point man to the Lord is going to come to an end. This is near the end of John's ministry right here. He's about to go into prison. We know what's going to happen to him. They're going to cut his head off. He's going to die. But here's another opportunity to point man to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the way they come to him, this is the way they say it. John, that man you bore witness to, he's down there baptizing and that's where everybody's going now. They forgot about you and they're all going to him. You know, I believe there was a little jealousy in the disciples. They, they loved John. They had been with him. They loved him. They appreciated his gospel. They appreciated his baptism and when they see people leave John to go to Jesus, in them is that envy, that jealousy. They're, they've got hurt feelings for John. Remember we looked at a couple scriptures in the Old Testament that there was Eldad and Medad in, in the book of Numbers, I believe. And they were prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, he comes to Moses and says, these men are prophesying in the camp. You need to forbid them. They're going to take your place, Moses. They're going to take your glory. Moses said, Do you envy because of me? I would that everyone in the camp of Israel would prophesy. There was no envy in Moses' heart, there was no bitterness in Moses' heart. And we made a distinction last time. Let's do that one more time. There is coveting a good gift there is looking at Moses and saying, I'd like to be like Moses. I'd like to be like Paul was. I'd like to have Paul's mindset. There's no sin in that. Paul wrote in Corinthians, covet earnestly the best gifts. As you see God has blessed somebody with a gift, there's nothing wrong with saying, I'd like to have that too. But when there's envy, Envy is jealousy that produces hatred and disdain for another individual. There we've got a problem. There's got to be some recognition of where this comes from. Now John's going to give them an answer. And I said last time, this is some of my favorite words in the Bible. What wisdom is closed up In these few words, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. John has got a spiritual mindset as he looks at what's going on. And John says, You know, the ministry that I had and all the people that came to me for baptism and to hear my preaching, they came because God allowed them to come. That's the only reason John had a ministry. It wasn't because John was great in himself that he got this ministry. John didn't earn this ministry because he was such a prayerful man. We, and there, there we go. We think too highly of ourselves. We think too highly of our works. And we move the glory from God to us. We think we've got to where we are because of our own strength. We think our own ability has has got us to the wife, the family, the job, the money, the house, the life, the spiritualness, the prayer. Even to the place, and you'll hear this often, that people think that they got their people saved. That they're saved because of what I've done. Boy, that's a shame, ain't it? That's a shame to think that way. Because who's who should get to glory in that situation? You, you can take it if, if the church got Anthony saved, then Anthony shouldn't thank God for saving him. Anthony ought to thank the church for getting him in. And if my brother got me saved, I shouldn't thank God because he's the one that saved me. So things are out of proportion. You see that? But John recognizes this, that if you've got something, God's give it to you. So where should the thanks go for everything that we have? We said Wednesday night that God does not get the glory that He's deserving of. And He doesn't, does He? He really doesn't. Even something as simple as saying the blessing, I realize that becomes habit. But you know what that is? That's sitting down at a table of food and thanking God for providing that for us that out of the heart there be thanksgiving that God has provided us what we have to eat. Thanks for all things. God has provided all. And if God has provided all, then God should be glorified for all of it, shouldn't He? But that, that passes over our mind very quickly. It does. There's no... There's no real thought, oftentimes, there's no real thought of thankfulness to God for what we've got. There's no thought of thanking Him even when when an emergency would come up, when trouble comes up in our life. And and I I know we've all had a moment where something happens and it shakes us to our insides. And we're afraid. And we're worried. And we don't know what the outcome's going to be. And we say, God, just... Just help us here. And you've not done anything to deserve God's help. You've not given thanks to God for anything He's done in the past. You've not been mindful of God. You've not been prayerful to God. You've not been dedicated to God as we ought to be. Now that's the truth. Who can say that he's been dedicated to God like he ought to be? Do you believe that there's one man on the face of the earth That could stand before us today and say, I've been dedicated and loving towards God as I ought to be. Mm -hmm. And yet, in our pitiful estate, in the life that we've been living, in the way that we've behaved ourselves, in our ungratefulness towards God, we were shook to the core and we said, God help us, and God helped. Mm -hmm. And He was merciful. And there's no recognition. There's no thanks back to the one that brought deliverance to us. But John says, and if you believe the Bible, then this is the truth. A man can receive nothing except it be given him. That's elementary. How can you receive something except I give it to you? Well, John's got God as the giver of all things. God is the provider of of all things and that that fits naturally as well as spiritually without god we would have nothing so even even those that are unsaved they ought to show some gratefulness to the god that has provided them all that they have in their life he's very underthanked wouldn't you say He's very underthanked. You know what you hear? You hear, you think of Lou Gehrig. You remember when he was, he was diagnosed with what we call now Lou Gehrig's disease. He was a ball player, played for the Yankees. Everybody knew him. He got that diagnosis and he stood and said, it's famous. I guess I'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth. That's the way man thinks. What good fortune, what good luck. When the truth is that God is blessed and God, we fail to give God the recognition for what He's done and what He's provided for us. So John John is not jealous toward the Lord Jesus. But John says, what I have God gave me. What he's got, God's given him. Now what are we talking about? We're talking about people. Followers. They're upset because Jesus is getting more followers. Well, God's give him those. So, there ought to be, there ought to be thankfulness for what God has given. And there should not be envy or hatred for what God has not given. Paul's going to say in, in Corinthians, and I believe it's right along these lines, if the body were all eyes, where would be the hearing? And if the body were all ears, where would be the vision? So where's, if we're all the same and equal, then what kind of a body would we have? But our body's diverse. The finger's different from the forearm. It's different from the thigh. But it's all there for the purposes of God. So there's no envy in my body, my finger. Think about how ignorant that this is. That my finger would be envious of my leg because it's stronger than it is. But you know, my finger doesn't need to do what my leg does. It's foolish that there be envy and bitterness and hatred and strife amongst the members of a body, even so it is the members of the body of Christ. God's given people a ministry. God's enabled. So John can exalt himself for the ministry that he was blessed with, but God can't envy Jesus because God's blessed him with a ministry either. I hope that that makes sense. And I hope that we can see that. In, in Numbers 16, verse number 9. Now we know Moses and Aaron, God chose them to be the leaders of Israel as they were brought out of Egypt and during their time in the wilderness. But we know that there was a man named Korah and several of the princes of the people and leaders of the people that rose up. And they said, Moses, here's our problem. You've took too much responsibility on yourself. You've took too much authority on yourself. We don't think you should be the leader, but we should share in that ministry because we're just as good as you. We're just as smart as you and we're just as spiritual as you, you know, all of those things could have been true. That could have been true. But do you know why Moses was leading the people? Because God put Moses to lead the people. And if God's the leader, and God's directing, and God's ordering, to rebel against God's ordering is to rebel against God. To rebel against Moses is to rebel against the one that gave him his authority. So in 16 verse 9, this is what Moses says to these folks that are rebelling against him. Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself? to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And he hath brought thee near to him and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee and seek ye the priesthood also. Moses says God separated you out and God gave you a job. Is there no gratefulness for what God has given you? You know, there was a group The Kohathites, I believe is what they were called. They were a a family within the tribe of Levi and their job was to pack up the tabernacle and to carry it when Israel moved. They had a job. Well, we don't like that job. It's not as glorious as what Aaron has. We want Aaron's job. And somebody else can do this. Moses says... Hold on a minute. God chose you for this. And God's brought you near to Him. And God separated you from everybody else. Is that not good enough for you? Man, when he's envious, there's nothing good enough for man. Man's got to be the best. And when he is the best, it's not good enough. Man's wicked. He's wicked and rebellious towards God for which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord and what is Aaron that you murmur against him what's Aaron done that you would hate him Aaron was the chosen high priest of God God chose him God put him in that place God anointed him And God allowed him to do that ministry. Now think about you're murmuring against Aaron. What is Aaron in the grand scheme of things? He's a man like you. He's been given a job from God like you. Is Aaron better than you? No. Are you better than Aaron? No. Think about that now. Are you better than anybody in the house of God? Truthfully, are we better than anybody? So if the answer to that is no then why do I think that I've earned something better than anybody else? But instead you know, what, you know what Korah and these men you know what their appropriate response should have been I thank you Father for the job you've given me and that I'm not a Moabite and that I'm not dead down in Egypt mm-hmm. that the uh, uh, Pharaoh didn't kill me down there I'm thankful that you've brought me out and that you've given me a place in your family. David had the right mindset. David said if he could just be a doorkeeper. You know who David was? He was the king. He was the head of the nation. And David said he'd count himself blessed to be the one that opens a door for everybody as they come in. How fortunate we are to have a place at the house of God and in the family of God, to have a seat. We may not be the most exalted, may not have the most glorious position, but know this, if you've got a position, God allowed you to have that position. It's the truth. And so we be thankful unto God for what He's given us, for the ability that He's given us, and not envious of another man. And so in number 17, now, God's going to fix this problem. God says, here's what we're going to do. I want every family to cut a limb off of a tree. It's their rods, their walking sticks. We're going to bring those into the tabernacle and we're going to lay them in the holy place. And the next morning we're going to see which one blooms. And the man whose rod blooms, you'll know that's the one that I've chosen. And so they all bring their rods in. They lay them in the tabernacle, in the holy place. And the next morning they come in and everybody's rod is exactly the same except for Aaron's. And Aaron's had grown. It had bloomed. It had budded. And it had almonds. It produced fruit. It was in every state of life. You know what that was? That was God's evidence of His elect and His chosen. Nobody else was going to take Aaron's place. He was the chosen of God. Now if you think you're going to overrule God, you're badly fooled. And so we know how that ended. God opened the earth up. And God swallowed them up. Listen to what David said in the First Chronicles 28, verse number four: Howbeit the Lord God of Israel chose me before the, all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever, for He hath chosen Judah to be the ruler, and of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, He liked to make me king over all Israel. Now that's David testifying as to how he became the king. That was God's choice. There were 12, you could say 13 tribes of Israel and God chose the house of Judah out of all the other tribes that from there the king was going to be produced. That was God's choice. Could the tribe of Dan, could the tribe of Asher, could they be mad about it? Could Benjamin be mad about it? They could. But what good's that going to do? And so God chose Judah, but He went even closer and He chose the house of Jesse, that out of the house of Jesse the king was going to come. So now you've got one tribe out of 13 chosen. Now you've got one family out of all of the tribe of Judah that He's chosen and not just the family But out of all of his brethren, God chose David to be the king. Now could his brothers be mad? They could. Is it going to change anything to be mad? God put David in and God's going to protect him and God's going to keep him and God's going to exalt him. In one place... Jeremiah's prophesying to Israel and he said, you've got two choices. You can humble yourself down and you can bow on your knees before Nebuchadnezzar and you can be his servants or you can die. Either way, Nebuchadnezzar's coming and he's taking this place. Well, I'm not going to bow. Well, you're going to die. You see that? So to rebel against God, how, how foolish is that? John's not going to rebel. John's not going to be sad-hearted. John's not going to be upset in the least fit. So in Romans 12, verse 6, Having then gifts differing according to the grace given to us, So now we're in the New Testament and we're looking at the church and God has given gifts to everyone in the church that the work of the church might be accomplished. God equips and enables some to teach children. And we're not talking teach them how to read. We're teaching the Word of God here. God equips and enables some to teach the adults. He equips and enables some to open the Sunday school to lead singing. You know why you've got those gifts? Because God gave those gifts to you. God saw fit to give these gifts to us. And Paul says, recognizing this, recognizing that God has given you the gift that you've got, if you're a prophet, then prophesy. If you're a teacher, then teach. If you're a singer, then sing. Don't envy the other man because of what God's given him, but do your job as God's given to you. And do it with thanksgiving. John's ministry is dying here. He's going to be taken out of the way and the spotlight's going to be on the Lord Jesus. And John has no jealousy whatsoever for the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. One more place and we'll move on to the next verse. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11, But all these worketh that one and selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Who's giving the gifts? Who's dividing to every man? severally, as He will. This is the Holy Ghost. Really, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost has given gifts as God Himself sees fit. If we don't like the gift we're given, then God's the one that we need to take it up with. God's the one that gave. But as God has given, as God has directed, God help us to take our place, to take our part, to take up our mantle, and to do the work that God has given to us for the glory of His Son and for the strengthening and blessing of the body as we're here. Don't try to usurp another man's position. Don't envy another man because of what God's given him. That's spiritually and naturally as well. It is. And so let us glorify God in the place that He's chosen to bless us. So they come with a question. John says, verse 27, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent before Him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy therefore, is fulfilled. So John's going to lay out who he is and who Jesus is. But the thing is now, he says, Ye yourselves bear me witness. Remember in John chapter 1 verse 20, when we're first introduced to John and they're going to come and ask him questions. Who are you? Are you the Christ, the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you that prophet, that prophet like Moses that we read about in Deuteronomy? No, I'm not him either. Well, who are you? I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. There's one coming after me I'm not worthy to be the lowest servant to. He's the one that baptizeth me with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So John, from the very beginning, was he was diminishing himself and pointing to Jesus. And that's what he's going to do here. He says, don't you remember what I said? I told you that I was not the main character. I told you that I was not one to be glorified, but the one coming after me was before me. And so John says here, In 1 in verse 27, He's preferred before me whose shoe latchet I'm not worthy to unloose. So John says, in saying those words, I am unworthy to be the least servant in his house. Would you not say that that's the, the true case for every one of us? We're not worthy to be the foot washer at the house of God. And yet God has brought us in and delivered us from sin and put us in His family and gave us a place. And not looking at everybody else but looking at God, there ought to be thanksgiving because we've got more than what we deserve. We're blessed to be the doorkeeper at the house of God. And so he says, "I am, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. So John is saying, I'm not the Savior. I'm not the one that's delivering a bride. But the one that has the bride, that's the groom. Wouldn't you say that's... Pretty well, common sense. The one that goes home with the bride after the wedding, that's the groom. Well, that's what John's saying. Here is one that has the bride. So he says in Ephesians 5: Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word. John's not able to sanctify a bride out of the world. John's going to go to prison and they're going to cut his head off. John's going to give his life for Jesus Christ and the gospel's sake. And you know, not one person's sins is going to be forgiven by John's death. Be the same as if you cut my head off. All you've done is killed a sinner. There's nothing there to atone for your death. And if you cut my head off of a truth, I'm dying and I'm worthy of it for the sin that I've committed in my life. John can't cleanse a bride, but Jesus is the one with the bride. So listen, let me read the last part of that verse. Which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. You know what he is? He's the bridegroom's friend. And he's, maybe John's saying this, I'm just the best man. And I've got a part in the marriage, but I'm not the one being married. And what I am is, I see the groom and and I love him and he's dear to me, and it tickles me to see him happy. It tickles me to see him, that's what he's saying. I hear his voice, and I'm glad just to be in His presence. But I'm not the groom. I'm not the focus. We got to go to a wedding yesterday. You know, here's all of these folks sitting there, and you know where they're looking. I mean, you think about, I don't guess I really realized it in my wedding. But man, everybody (coughs) is looking at you all the time. You're the focus. There was some other girls and some other boys up there, but nobody really looks at them, dude. Ain't that amazing? I tell you, the Lord Jesus and the bride that He's redeemed, that's where all eyes go. To the Lord, the Savior of the bride. So John says, I'm just tickled to hear His voice. Therefore, this my joy, therefore... Is fulfilled. It makes me glad to see the Lord Jesus doing the work that God has sent him to do. In a sense, I believe John's saying this God sent me to do a work, I've done that work, and I'm going to pass away. But the Lord sent him to do a work, and his work's just beginning, and he's going to bring the bride. With him when he comes, and so in verse thirty, he must decrease, and I mu- But I, he must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. So John's recognizing this, and I realize that scripture is used in different ways, but in John's saying. He's saying my ministry's going down that His ministry might go up. I'm trying to send my followers to follow Him. I'm going to be gone. I'm not able to save. I'm not able to redeem them. But I'm trying to send everybody that's following me to the Lamb of God that's able to save them. I'm pointing everybody to Him. And it's the ordained plan of God that He increases and that I decrease. You believe that's the ordained plan of God for all of the followers of Christ? Yes. That that our will, and, and there's growth. I recognize that there's growth that has to occur. But that over the course of our life from salvation to the end of it, that our will and our desire and our thinking and everything about us naturally decreases. And He, in our life, in our mind and in our heart, increases so that, I pray this often, so that I might think more like He thinks. That when I look at something, I could... Not look with my natural corrupted thinking and heart, but that there might be spiritual vision. You know, naturally you look at a bunch of people that are ungodly and, and you have disdain for them in the flesh. But Jesus looked on them and He had compassion. He was moved in His bowels for them because they were as sheep without a shepherd. If you're not careful, you'll look on people and and you'll have disdain for them because of their sinfulness and their iniquity and their evil living. But you know, Jesus, when He looked, He recognized why they were like that. They were sheep without a shepherd. Your sheep ever going to do anything that you want them to do? There's no guidance or direction. They never will. And neither will us. So God help us to decrease that he might increase. In Daniel chapter 2 verse 34, very familiar the dream here. Thou sawest till a stone was cut out without hands and smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. We can read on there. But he, <coughs> the stone that's cut out of the mountain rolls over all the kingdoms of the earth all through history. And that stone becomes a great mountain that fills the whole earth. Is there any king then? Is there any government? Is there any authority? Is there any law that is going to prevent the Lord from accomplishing His work? Nebuchadnezzar was the great head of gold, the most powerful man that ever lived. Did he stop? Could he stop three boys and Daniel the prophet from accomplishing the work of God in Babylon? There's no stopping God. There's no hindering His progress. That ought to bring great peace to the church. To know that though afflicted, though hated, though despised, Though mocked and made fun of, the Lord will conquer. And He will. We've got thousands of years of history to prove it. And Isaiah prophesied, we all know this one in Isaiah 9, that the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. This is unstoppable. So he that cometh from above is above all. Is He above all? Is the Lord preeminent above every person that's ever lived? I mean, God said in His Word that God's exalted Him above every name. He says in the Psalms, He exalted His Word above His own name. And we know Jesus is the Word. But that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus is the Lord. He will be exalted. He is preeminent. He is above all. And He will conquer all. And all will bow in reverence unto His feet. So, what He hath seen and heard, that He testifieth. And no man receiveth His testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. So why should we believe Jesus? Here's, Here's just a few reasons that John the Baptist gives. First, He's going to increase and He's going to conquer. He's above all things. He came from the Father in heaven. He came down to where we were when we couldn't go up. God sent Him and God Himself speaks through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God is upon Him without measure, and God loves him and has delivered all things into his hand. Not my words. That's what John has said about the Lord Jesus. In Isaiah 59, As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth, shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, seed, saith the Lord from henceforth and forever. You know who he's talking to? The Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus came. The Spirit was upon him without measure. The Word of God was in his mouth. The Lord Jesus loved his bride. He gave himself for it. And so that just as... When I marry, everything I've got becomes shared with Morgan. What she had is shared with me and we two become one flesh and one life in this world. So also has the bride entered into marriage with the son and the spirit and blessing and mercy of God that was on Jesus. We share that with him today. <coughs> the word of God that was on his lips. It's in our lips through Him today. Nothing earned of ourselves, but we've entered into relationship with the Lord and we share in His goodness and in His blessing and His favor. In Philippians, we've already quoted this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the father that's god's advice to you and to me ain't it something how hard that man is to give in the glory that god deserves that speaks to the deadness of man now one more verse and we'll quit Listen to how simple that this last verse is. I mean, easy to understand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. It's that simple. Those that are in... And I realize... I realize that a devil-filled religion in our world would take this verse and say, well, if you believe, that's good enough. The word believe here is to have faith in, upon or with respect to, to credit or to entrust. So this belief, this biblical faith, It's more than just, well, I believe in Jesus. And in our hearts, we know that. This biblical faith is a persuasion, a conviction that comes from God and God alone. So if there is genuine entrust of the work of the Lamb of God, then we have everlasting life That cannot be taken away. But if there is no trust, if I've not got faith in the Lamb of God, then I will not see life. See what's here, this is temporary. He's speaking of life that's eternal. And them that are outside of the Lord Jesus, they'll never even know what it is to truly live outside of the confines of a wicked flesh. But you know what they're going to face? Again, I I said this a while back. I'm going to say it again. They're not going to face the wrath of the devil. People have got the devil up at God's level. And the devil's gonna punish people. And we're gonna be, we're gonna to go to hell, and the devil's gonna to torment us. The devil's gonna be cast into hell, and the devil's gonna be punished. No, it's the wrath of God that abideth on those that will not come to the Son of God. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry with thee. But there's really, really there's no lest. Because I'm already sinful. I'm condemned already, as Jesus told Nicodemus. If I don't find a place in Christ, then the wrath of God certainly is abiding on me today. That's all that's on our heart.